all that God has for them. You see what I'm saying? I'm hungry though. So if everybody else leaves, I'll still be here. Amen. Here we go. Thank you so much for being back here tonight. And, and uh, I'm going to keep you here for about three or four hours. Yes. I'm kidding. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn. I'm actually going to do two passages of Scripture tonight. Uh, the first one is Mark, chapter number 6. And then I'm going to start off with Philippians, chapter number 4, picking up at the 11th verse. Mark, chapter number 6, very familiar passage of Scripture to anybody that's been in church longer than a week. Uh, you've probably heard this story a thousand times, but I can assure you I'm probably going to preach it a little different than you've ever heard it. Um, and I don't want to, I, I know where I'm headed, so I don't want to jump and, and give stuff away. And when I get there, I'm going to probably just blow your mind, because uh, whenever I came across this, it blew mine. Um, Paul said in Philippians chapter number 4, picking up at verse number 11, he said, he said, I know both how to be abased, that means brought down, and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed, I am instructed both to abound we, we, do, we do really good teaching that part because all of us want to abound. If, if I was talking about uh, tonight on just that subject alone, that we are instructed to abound, I would have you running the aisles tonight uh, because we want to abound. And Paul said, I'm instructed to abound. That means that I'm going to have more than I need. I'm going to prosper. I'm going to be in good health. We're going to abound. Doesn't that sound real good? That sounds like that's a good place to, to shout amen on right there. I'm instructed to abound. But he said I'm also instructed to suffer need. Loneliness. Frustration. Turmoil. Aggravation, the mully grubs. The same God that orders blessings, He instructs me to suffer. And because we don't teach this, uh, we're living in this prosperity world where everything is going to pop up uh, tulips uh, and you're never going to go through hard times. Uh, because we don't teach this, we have a church in shock. Uh, we have a church in shock because we listen to whichever preacher is hot at the moment. And they told us stuff like, if you get saved, uh, you'll have a Mercedes in a month. All your kids are going to graduate with honors. Uh, you'll be happily married for the rest of your life. Everything is going to fall into place and your back is never going to hurt and your breath is never going to stink. 
And now all hell is breaking loose and the ship is rocking back and forth. And we're shocked. Paul said, I am instructed both to be full and I'm instructed to be hungry. I want to talk tonight to some hungry people. It's interesting that Pastor introduced me tonight talking about him being hungry. Uh, sometimes God will order hunger. Uh, he will put you in a situation that hurts you. And He will leave you in it. Now I know I'm ruining a lot of worship songs right now. Um, but He will let you struggle. He will let me be hungry both to abound and to suffer need. He says in verse 11, he says he has learned to be content. It's not just that he is enduring the problem. He said I have learned to be content. In other words, in 2021 vernacular, he has learned to chill. He has learned to enjoy his own company. He has learned contentment in the middle of a storm. Now, contentment doesn't mean the absence of ambition. Because if I'm in a problem, I can tell you I want to find a quick way out of it. I'm not just going to sit in the middle of a storm and say, well, I guess this is God's will, so I'm just going to let it rain. I'm going to do everything that I can to get out of it in my own. But Paul said, I've learned that I can be content in the storm, but you can still be ambitious. You see, contentment does not mean apathy. Uh, it doesn't mean indifference. More fitting, it means to make peace with the process. In, in other words, it means that if it takes this to get to the other side, I can do it. If I have to go through lightning to get to my destiny, uh, I can go through it. To make peace with the process uh, is contentment in the program that God has designed for my life. And if we are to maintain and if we are going to be effective, uh, we must do it without developing frustration. Um, I've been to a lot of, of church growth seminars and they want to tell you how to do this and how to do that and and some churches just explode with growth and and some people just maintain uh, but one thing is for sure amongst all churches and it better be the case for all pastors and that is is that we need to be effective whether we're pastoring 50 or 500, we'd better be effective and we'd better do it without developing frustration. Amen. It's quiet in here. 
Some of you have ambition, but you're canceling it out with frustration. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, we must avoid the temptation to be defined by our current status, whether or not it's positive or if it is negative. Because whether or not I'm going through a storm or if I'm on the mountaintop, where I'm at does not tell you who I am. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I cannot be determined and I cannot be labeled by what's going on around me, storm or not, wind or not, good or bad. I learned that neither my successes nor my failures really determine who I am, that I am centered by who is in me, not what is around me. Mm -hmm. So that the things that are lovely, I think I'm quoting some scripture right here, whatever things are pure and true, that those are the things that stabilize me, not what I wear, not what I drive, not what I live in, not where, not things to come, not things that have gone, and things that could go. I've got to be stabilized by something that is solid and stable. I'm learning, I'm learning not to live with the myth that means changing my situation will change my, my realities. Let me repeat that again. People think that if you will change your situation, you must change your reality. Let me tell you, I am who I am, whether or not I'm a pastor or not. I am who I am, whether I'm in a storefront or if I'm in a cathedral. I am who I am, whether or not I'm preaching to a handful of people on a Sunday night in Magazine, Arkansas, or if I'm preaching a denominational camp meeting. I am who I am. So my situation is not defined by my circumstances. Do you hear what I'm saying? I, I can go ahead and close right now. I can give an altar call right here. We can go home. All right? So I want to get to my text here. We're in Mark chapter number 6 now. The disciples, I, I'm not going to quote the scripture. You, you know it. I'm just going to paraphrase what's going on. The disciples are in a ship. And there's three things out of this text tonight that we're going to look at that I want to bring to life in your life. And I want us to first of all look at the ship. And then second of all, I want us to look at the struggle. And then thirdly, we're going to look at the supplies. The ship, the struggle, the supplies. Alright? Uh, I'm an audience participation preacher, so say it with me. The ship, the struggle, the supplies. Say it again. The ship, the struggles, the supplies. I want to first of all hit on this ship part. I want to talk about that because all through the Bible, God has a thing for ships. I don't know if you've ever really paid attention to that or not, but all throughout Scripture, when He deems that something is valuable to Him, uh, He always puts it in a ship. Every time. Uh, when Noah found favor with God, 
God said, Noah, I'm going to get you through this on a ship. Mm -hmm. He said, if I put you on a ship and I shut the door, don't come out until I open it. Because all of my treasure and everything that I love will always be on the ship. When, when the baby Moses had gotten too big to be hidden uh, from Pharaoh, his mother had made for him a little ship made out of bulrushes. And she put him out in the Nile River. And no matter how many alligators or snakes or serpents were in the water, as long as baby Moses stayed on the ship... I'm about as long as the baby stayed on the ship, mm -hmm, it might get rocky, but as long as the baby would stay on the ship, your Bible said he survived. Uh, when Paul was traveling toward Rome and everybody was getting ready to jump off the ship, uh, Paul said, uh, boys, let me tell you something. Uh, even if this ship falls into a thousand different pieces, uh, stay with it. Any little piece of the ship, just grab hold of a, of a two by four. Just grab hold of any little piece of the ship and it will get you uh, to your destination. God does everything by ships. When he got ready to create life, uh, he put in the mother's womb, which was used as a ship, and allowed the baby to float in the belly because anything that God thinks is precious, he puts in a ship. When he got ready to come down in flesh and blood, he came down to Mary and said, let me borrow your ship. And he climbed into her womb and he floated for nine months and came out the baby Jesus because everything that God thinks is precious, he puts it in a ship. When he met Peter and he got ready to preach, he came down from the seashore and he said, Peter, let me borrow your ship. And he started preaching his first ever sermon series from a ship. Because anything that God thinks is precious, he puts it in a ship. So in my text tonight in Mark chapter number 6, he put the disciples in the ship and he says, I'm going to go up to pray. You go ahead, I'll join you later. Let me just stop here just for a moment and tell you that all of us tonight are in the same boat. Um, I left South Carolina and there was a few people there who were wearing, um, what's those things called? They wrap around your ears, it covers your nose and mouth. We've seen by George for the last year and a half, everybody and their mama has either worn, oh, oh yeah, masks. I left South Carolina and there were some people wearing masks. I drove down into Georgia and I looked to the car beside of me on I-85 and this person was in the car all by themselves wearing a mask. 
I thought, well, that's strange. So I got into Alabama. Now, we Clemson Tigers, we don't like anything about Alabama. And, and I got into Alabama, and lo and behold, Pastor, people were wearing masks. And then we, I picked up, I picked up Kim in, in Birmingham, and and because she had to drive our car to Charlotte, so we'd have a car when we flew in there. And she she drove down to Charlotte, and then flew over to Birmingham, Alabama. And I picked her up when she landed. It was just timed it that way. And and I picked her up in Alabama, and we got into uh, Tupelo, Mississippi. And all of a sudden, my the back the back tire blew out, and. Man, if you read that on Facebook, it was a miracle in itself. And I went into the, to the hotel in Tupelo, Mississippi, and guess what? People were wearing masks. Now, some people refuse to wear them. Some people, that's all they want to do is wear them. It's like, it just it's part of their wardrobe now. I got to get my keys, my wallet, my mask. And now the argument because where I have seen, and I heard a preacher say this, and it's, and it's so true and it's worth repeating, that, that the spirit of, of, of arguing that's always been in the church, because it, it went to a, a racial thing, it was black versus white, and then that, that got all crazy. We, police officer in his knee on a, on a guy in Minnesota, and we had riots, and everything was racist, and if you were white, you were racist, and if you were black, you were racist, and, and now all of a sudden that ceased, and now the argument is, if you're vaccinated or unvaccinated, that's now the new, that's now the new argument amongst the church and people are, are i mean we're losing friendships over stuff like this well my god you you're you're vaccinated you don't have you have you don't have faith in god oh you're you're unvaccinated you you don't love me you're trying to give me the coronavirus but but what i'm trying to tell you is for the last year and a half we have all what i'm trying to tell you is is from south carolina to every state uh i don't think that i've been living under a rock and I don't think that South Carolina is the only state that has got the coronavirus. Y'all have heard of the coronavirus, yeah? Amen. You see, that, that tells me that this entire world, whether or not you're black, white, polka dotted, or striped like a zebra, we are all in the same boat. Uh-huh. Rich folk, poor folk. Black, white, educated, illiterate, articulate, intelligent, we're all in the same sh ship. So I don't want nobody to feel cheated. I, I, don't, I don't want nobody in here feeling like that you got left out of this thing. So, so the, all the haters, there's, there's some folk watching me on Facebook tonight, so let me talk to them. Uh, there's, there's haters out there. Uh, and the reason that you're a hater is, is because you think that the people you're hating on uh, got something that you didn't get. Uh, you think that the person you're hating on has no struggles. Uh-huh. Uh, you think they have no suffering. You think they have no pain. You think that, that, that your life is the only one that hurts. And the one that you're hating on, let me tell you, they hurt too. Yeah. Uh, you, you don't get to go through this life without struggles. You don't get to waltz through life without pain and without Ad adversities and struggles. So chill out. 
We all are in the same ship. Single people. I hear single people talking. Oh, I'm t I had a guy in my church. Oh, pastor, I'm just, I'm just tired of being by myself. If I could just get married, I'd be happy. I looked at him and I said, no, you wouldn't. You just have somebody to argue with instead of arguing with yourself. Don't get quiet on me. Ain't nobody here but me and you. And then you got married people. Can I get real tonight? Married people, they think, well, you know, I'm just tired of being married. I just wish I was single. I could do what I wanted to do. And ain't nobody satisfied no more. Skinny people taking all kinds of stuff to gain weight and bulk up and get big. Fat people running all over the house trying to be small. Everybody's got a struggle. Everybody's got a situation. You do not get to go through this world without struggle. There's no way to get to the other side without struggle. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I just preach right there. If I don't say another word, I just preach right there. There's no way that you're going to go to the other side without struggle. Somebody shout struggle. I didn't say say it. Somebody shout struggle. Now, remember I told you we were talking about three things. Number one was what? The ship. Number two was what? The struggle. Let's talk about the struggle. Uh, when you shout, when you talk about struggle, uh, and you shout struggle, that's why I didn't want you to say it, I wanted you to shout it. When you shouted struggle uh, in the spirit, you were letting the devil know that I'm about to fight back. You see, if you're going through a struggle and you shout and you just say it, you, struggle, struggle, the devil's going to beat your brains out. But if you stand up on your own two feet and point your finger in the face of the devil and just shout out struggle, you let the winds know that I'm not just going to let here you let you take me under. I'm going to shout struggle. I've got some fight. I've got some tenacity. That means that if you jump on me, you've got a fight on your hands. If you come into my house, you've got a fight on your hands. That means I'm not going to lay down. I'm not going to die. That means I am going to struggle. And your Bible said that they struggled in the ship. And here's the thing that gets me. And here's I'm getting this. This blew my mind. Here it goes. This text here in the book of Mark is the only text in your Bible that talks about this story without talking about Peter. How many of you have ever heard the story of the disciples in the boat? And preachers and, and 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 pastors probably done it, and I hope at least I hope he has because I've done it. But how many of you've ever heard the story of the disciples in the boat and a preacher talks about, oh, but brother Peter, oh, and then they get that Pentecostal buck going on, you know, and they say, oh, brother Peter, he he got out on the water and he started walking, and I remember grandmama with that. 
Pentecostal hairdo, that beehive, you know, and, and we start talking about Grandpa, about Peter walking on water, and she starts shouting, and all of a sudden that hairdo comes down. How many of you ever heard about Peter walking on the water as if he was some great disciple? Huh? Y'all ever heard that? Well, when I read the text here in Mark 6, there's no, there's no mention of Peter walking on the water. And I thought to myself, all these years I've heard this story, and I began to think this is strange because Mark, Mark doesn't focus on Peter. Matter of fact, Mark doesn't even mention Peter. Mark don't even act like Peter even exists. In all my life, I'll be honest, up until I began to break this down, I always applauded Peter. I always gave Peter props for getting out of the ship. I mean, I thought, I thought Peter was better than the rest of them. I thought he had more faith because he got down out of the ship. I thought he was stronger than the rest of them because he got down off the ship. I thought Peter had more faith because he walked on water. But it never occurred to me that for him to get off of the ship might mean to leave the place that he was instructed to stay. The words that I see Jesus telling his disciples was to get in the boat and go to the other side. Never one time did I ever read that Jesus said, get in the boat and if things get rocky, ask me if you can come out. He never said that. And you know, maybe we've got people in the church who are asking for permission to get off of the ship that God has instructed you to stay on. You see, Mark doesn't mention Peter because it's not God's will for you to run from the fight and leave everybody else in the struggle. Uh-huh. You see, it's not that the Lord told Peter to get off the ship. Your Bible specifically says that Peter asked to come out of the ship. Peter was the one who said, Lord, if it's you, get me off of this thing. I'm about to drown and I've had it with all these other guys. Get me out of here. And I'm going to tell you, some church people, they keep jumping from ship to ship. I talked about that this morning. Remember how I told you that a, a Christian is going to be rooted and they're going to be grounded and they're not going to be easily offended? Your Bible even talks about that. But there's some church people that if you discipline them, you correct them, they jump off the ship and they go to another ship and jump on that one and they tuck tail and run every time something is controversial. When, and my question is, is when are those people going to grow up? I know that's kind of hard for church people to, to hear from a, from a pastor, but I'm just, this is how I talk to my church people. When are you going to grow up? When are you going to sit 
your hips down and began to wrestle with that thing called divorce. Wrestle with that thing, that situation. Wrestle with finances. Wrestle with your credit. Wrestle with your situation. And instead of jumping ship, go through the struggle and fight your way until you get to the other side. Amen. Pastor. I forgot we was even doing the team tag, tag team thing. Because I got so into what you was preaching, I want to talk about the struggle just a minute. Mine's louder than his. Somebody fix that, please. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, talks about that struggle. Because you see, Paul began to understand there. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 says, Yes, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Listen. Everything that he had received, he counted but lost. He was taught by Gamaliel, the, the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was, he was the educator you wanted to have. He said, I count that but lost. For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I do count them but dung that I may win Christ. And he found and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him. There's a reason for his struggle. You need to hear what the reason is. It's not that I might be the most important pastor that's ever walked the face of the planet or that I might preach better than anybody else, but that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. You see, what he was talking about earlier, the sufferings. you got to go through some hard times. Jesus had to go through hard times. If he wasn't exempt, why do you think you would be? He said, there's trouble in this world, but I've overcome this world. He says, it's impossible, but these things are going to come. It has to happen. And the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. That means whenever he heard that it was coming... He said, if that's your will, Father. He said, it doesn't sound good. If it's possible, let it pass from me. But not my will, but your will be done. If i got to go through it, i got to go through it. Whatever it takes, Father. I want to be made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I've already attained. Listen. Don't quit running. Don't Stop pushing. Not as though I... You, you ever seen a runner in a race? Yes. And just stop, you know, because they think they're ahead of everybody else. Or they're going to pass as many people. They've already passed all the people they want to pass. And Not as though I'd already attained. Either we're already perfect, but I follow after. If that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. I want to get a hold of the thing that got a hold of Jesus. Because it wasn't the nails that held him to the cross. He had a plan. And his 
love for you and that desire for a relationship with us, that desire to be the firstborn among many brethren was talking about Jesus. He's looking for brothers and sisters. They want to spend eternity with him and be united with the Father. Not as though I've already attained, either we're already perfect, for I follow after if that I may be that I may apprehend that which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Verse 13 says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are in front of me. That means I'm not just sitting here trying to stay in this spot. I'm not trying to just hang on to what I got and get by on the seat of my pants. I'm looking for what's next because I've already found out this relationship with God gets better the more I know Him. Forgetting the things I've left behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press towards the mark. That means there's resistance. You want me to tell you where the most of my resistance is? This earth suit. This earth suit is lazy. It does not want to do, it wants to be weighted on hand and foot, and it wants to keep a chip on its shoulder. If you're getting offended all the time, all you got to do is not put the chip on your shoulder, and nobody can knock it off. I press towards the mark. Kind of hard to do that if I have, have a chip right there, because the devil's going to come and knock it off. And it's going to slow me down, because then I'm going to have to stop and reach down and pick it up, and then go, oh yeah, where was I? Oh yeah, I was pressing. Doesn't sound to me like I had much into it. If I'm babying, I, I love the fact that they call it a pet peeve. You need to get rid of those kind of pets. They're more pests than pets. I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of, Je of God in Christ Jesus. So let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. And if anything you be otherwise minded, God is going to reveal even this unto you. That's tag team wrestling. So that is the struggle. So who in your Bible said that Peter was right to run? There's no scripture that applauds him for it. Uh, and when Jesus saves him, he only had to save him because he got out of the ship. Ain't nobody helping me tonight. And then he finally talks to Peter and says, Oh ye of little faith. Now, I'm going to be honest. I thought, I thought, that he would have said, Peter, oh, you are a man of great faith. Because of the, all of the 12 disciples, you were the only one who, who had the tenacity to, to climb over the stern of the ship and jump out. You see, I grew up in Sunday school uh, with Sister Dover. And people want to know where I got my bachelor's of divinity and, and all this in, in Bible degree from. Uh, I got it from Dover. I got it when I was in kindergarten with a Cherokee Indian. She was tight le brown leather skin with a white beehive on top of her head. And she had a blue flannel graph board. 
Y'all remember blue flannel graph boards? Some of these young people are like, what in the wide world are you talking about? A blue flannel graph board was, it was the, it was the iPad of the 80s in Sunday school, okay? It was this blue board that was fuzzy, and Sister Dover, instead of watching As the World Turns during the week, she was cutting out little characters of Jesus and, uh, and what looked like a little two-man rowboat, and she had Peter. But I'm going to tell you, it wasn't a little two-man rowboat. This thing was a ship. It was a big ship because you got to think about this. I've always thought it was a little, little canoe. Twelve men were on this thing. That is a big size ship. He comes down off of it, and I'm going to tell you, I felt like, man, when I, when I first read the story of Peter, I thought, man, I'm going to go around the country. I'm going to preach this thing. I'm going to talk about having faith, what great faith Peter had. And Jesus looks at him and says, Oh, ye of little faith. Uh, why? Maybe because... I thought he had great faith maybe because he was safe. Maybe maybe could have been said he had a little faith because Peter was running from the struggle. I just feel like talking to somebody, and I'm getting ready to go to the third point. But I want to tell somebody tonight, don't you dare run from the struggle. I want to challenge you tonight that you better stand flat-footed in the middle of the struggle and no matter how hard you're toiling and how tired you are you will stop asking God for miracles to get you out of what God puts you into you are going to get in that struggle you are going to grab those oars and you're going to deal with the struggle because God has instructed the struggle in this season for your life. Amen. I'm almost done. But Mark, Mark never mentions Peter because Peter, if you really think about Peter, he missed the struggle. And I'm going to be honest with you. The more I read my Bible, Pastor, Peter had a habit of missing a lot of stuff. Yes, he did. Uh, when Jesus got to the cross, Peter missed the struggle. Yes, he, did. he denied him and said he wasn't a disciple. He missed the struggle. He ended up ashamed and disgraced. In other words, he missed the struggle. I'm just saying it could be possible um, that he should have stayed in the struggle rather than jumping out of the struggle. One final thing on this struggle thing, he doesn't mention Peter. He talks about the ships and then he talks about the struggle and then at the very last moment, the whole story in this talks about the ship and the struggle. The whole thing does. Ship and struggle. Ship and struggle. Kind of like our life. Ship and struggle. Ship and struggle. And then at the last minute, 
He brings up the supplies. And now I understand it. I never understood why, if you read this story, why in the world Jesus had told them to gather up the fragments. Y'all remember that story? He fed 15,000 people. Uh, the Bible says 5,000 men, but they didn't count women or kids. I don't understand that part either, uh, especially since the one that they didn't even count was the one who had the miracle <laughs> in his bag of lunch. So don't, and it, don't ever let anybody count you out and say you don't matter. Because they didn't even count on that little kid, but he was the one who said, hey, I've got five loaves, two fish. Okay? But in that whole story, he feeds approximately 15,000 people to the point with five loaves, two fish that he tells them to gather up the fragments. I don't know if there's any English teachers in here or not. Um, I'm, I wasn't one. I used to teach math, but I can tell you one thing I remember about English class, and that was when I knew what the difference was between a sentence and a fragment. A sentence is complete. A fragment is an incomplete sentence. Okay? So your Bible says that Jesus told them to gather up the fragments. Okay? What that tells me is it's not leftovers. It's not the uneaten part of the bread and fish and you just make sure we can get that for a, a fish sandwich later on. This was the incomplete stuff. This was, I bit everything off this hush puppy that I want and I don't want this part and I'm throwing it to the side and Jesus said, get, get the fragment. I, 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 ate, I ate my flounder and it's got a few, it's got a little bit of meat on it but most of it's bone. And I'm not eating any more of this, and I'm tossing it over to the side, and Jesus said, gather it up. Gather up the fragments, 12 basketfuls of fragments. And I thought it was strange, because one thing, I don't like leftovers. Second of all, I can't imagine eating leftover seafood. I mean, some stuff is just disgusting in itself. And I'm just trying to imagine somebody going to Captain D's, which is another conversation. I mean, who eats fast food drive-through fish? But And if you, if you work at Captain D's, God bless you. But, but to go through Captain D's and get some fast food seafood, and then y'all ever microwave uh, french fries? Disgusting. All right? and, and this is the kind of stuff that they had in the boat with them. And my question is, I'm thinking now the whole time, because I'm, I'm a realist. I read the Bible, and I'm like, oh, now, why? Because sometimes the Lord says stuff that makes me mad. It does. It, it is. Like when he's walking on the water, and the, and the disciples are about to go overboard, and, and he says, fear not. I'm like, are you out of your mind? I mean, I'm about to drown, and you're telling me don't be scared? So, so in this story, he tells them to gather up 12 basketfuls. Now here, this is what I want you to get, and, and you'll understand this. He's got his, his church council on the ship. The boys that have been working for him for three years. He is in crowd. All right? The ones who know all the secrets. 
who knows that we're getting ready to break ground on a building in a year and we haven't told the church yet. These boys know everything. And they don't get fresh food. They're told to bring fragments of nasty seafood that people bit off and didn't want any more of it and that was going to be their next meal. That's offensive. I don't want your leftovers. I mean, you are God. You're the one that can speak and worlds leap into being. You're the one, you're the one who can just say, let there be, and it is. At least you could give me a, a fresh bologna sandwich, not your fragments. But your Bible said that they, they brought 12 basketfuls of fragments. And nowhere in your Bible does it say that, that, that they ever ate them. They just had them on the boat with them. And it is Mark that makes us understand why he brought these fragments on the ship. The fragments were on the ship to remind them, I'm about to preach right here, of what God had already done before in their life. And the Bible said in your text, it said that they had forgotten the loaves and the fish because of the hardness of their heart. Mm -hmm. So the loaves and the fish, the bony little fish and the, and the half-eaten hush puppies were on this ship to remind them of the miracle that God had already done for them in the past. Jesus said, take the leftovers with you. I never could because my mind, when I read Scripture, draws pictures. And I, I never could figure it out. Who in the world wants to eat this stuff? These leftover scraps. Y'all remember going to Grandmama's house and you had to go take the scraps out? I remember when I was a little boy, that was a chore of mine. We got to go see my grandma like three times a year because we lived six hours away from them and, and my grandma would fix this big chicken and pastry and, and chicken and, and dumplings and all this stuff and, and we'd all eat and all this stuff and she'd say, Stephen, go take the scraps out. And what they did with the scraps is they got all that nasty leftover stuff and they put them in one big bowl. It was an amalgamation of absolute sickening ingredients. So on this ship are the scraps. Come on. Who in the world would want them? But Jesus said, bag them up. One for every disciple. I want you all to see it. But I'll, I've got one with your name on it. That means if he had one for every disciple, that means to tell me he's got some supplies with my name on it. Amen. You know what my, my supplies are? My supplies are when Kim and I were living with my mom and dad when we first got married because we didn't have any money and we were evangelizing full time and we were depending on love offerings and we got more love than offering and um, <coughs> and and we were we were we were we, we came across this house and I was scared and I was like man I don't know if we can afford that because I, I still have to depend on not making people mad when I preach and I'm not good at that yet and 
and uh, and and here we are. I don't know if we should do this, and 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 here's this is my strap right here. And we went to this Baptist church in Tennessee to, for me and her to to sing a, a concert. Me and her on a Sunday night with about as many people that are here tonight. Uh, at this little Baptist church, and we sang for about 25 minutes, and we took a little break. They took up the offering, and this is what I prayed. I said, Lord, if you'll give me our, the house payment was, what, 850 I said, Lord, if you'll give me a house payment, I'll get this house. $850, one little service. We only sang for 20 minutes, and this is the crowd I'm singing to, 850 bucks. I said, Lord, if you'll give me a house payment, we're going to get that house. But by the way, Lord, I don't think you can do it. I mean, I was real because, I mean, it don't look like much. So we went, we sang for the rest of the service. We came in and the pastor gave us a check and we never got one house payment. They gave us three house payments. So I called the, the guy and I said, we'll, we'll sign the papers tomorrow morning. That is my scraps. What do you mean? That means that whenever money's tight and we're in need and the enemy says you're getting ready to fall flat on your face, you'll never get it. I go back in my ship and I look at this basket full of fragments and I look at these supplies and I say, let me tell you something, devil. If God did it for me again one time, he can do it for me again. Amen. And, 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 and many times we begin to doubt in our heart because our hearts are hardened. And we think that that miracle was a one-time get-out-of-jail-free card. But miracle after miracle after miracle has transpired. And I don't know if she still has them in her Bible, but she had note cards full, writing them down of miracles. We call them miracles. I'm going to call them scraps. Of scraps that God had done in our life. I'm talking about when the doctor said you're going to die and cannot live. And then you get you begin to pray the prayer of faith like James said. And you go back to the doctor and he says, what spot? I don't see anything. So when you get sick the next time and the devil says, yeah, you got out that one time. But this time I'm taking you out. I just go back into the ship and I pull out my scraps. And I said, if he healed me then, he can heal me again. And I want to tell you tonight that every single one of us have some scraps in our ship. We call them the supplies. We've got some supplies. Maybe, maybe, maybe you hadn't, you ain't got what I'm talking about yet. But if you've ever been in trouble. If you've ever been in trouble, you can give God a praise because you know that if he got you out of, of trouble one time, he can get you out of trouble again. Sometimes, instead of worrying about it, you need to go back to the stern of the ship and pull out the supplies and say, my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So if you've ever been sick before and God's ever healed you, 
That is your supply. So when the doctor says, I don't know what this is, say it doesn't matter. Because I've got Jehovah Rapha who is riding with me on my ship and he's healed me before. And I'm calling on his name again. If you've ever been broke and God's brought you through before, you ought to give him a praise because now you've got uh, some supplies. Uh, if your child has ever been in trouble uh, and God brought you out, uh, you ought to give God some praise. Uh, if you've ever been jobless uh, and God provided, uh, you ought to give God a praise. Uh, and the Lord sent me by here to tell you tonight uh, that wherever you go uh, and whatever you do, uh, always carry your supplies with you uh, because your supplies are a testimony before you and your God that if he has done it before he can do it again if you believe it give him a shout of praise I want, I want every believer tonight who's got some supplies you've got some supplies I, some of you just may just think about it Think about what God has done in your life. You've got some supplies, some old testimonies, a.k.a. some old evidence, some old signs, if you will, that God has done it before. Some of you, you may be in here and you have, you supposed to have died as a kid. You were supposed to die in your crib, but God kept you uh, even before you knew John 3.16, before you ever called on the name Jesus, before you were ever baptized. God saved your life. Some of you remember who you used to be and what you used to do before you got saved, but along came a Savior to a sinner in need of a Savior, and He brought you out of the mire clay uh, and he set your feet uh, on the rock to stay uh, put a song uh, in the song in your mouth today a song uh, of hallelujah some of us need to go back uh, and get the evidence uh, of what we've been through and understand uh, he may not come uh, when you want him uh, but he'll be there right on time that's why the Bible said, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So is there any redeemed folk in the house tonight who's got some old testimonies that you could just stand all over this house and clap your hands and thank God that if you did it before, you can do it again. Come on, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Somebody needs to say so tonight. You need to quit keeping it to yourself and start saying so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I don't expect a liar to say so. I don't expect a non-believer to say so. But this book says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Can you give him a shout of praise one more time? By the way, can I borrow your Bible? We didn't plan this. That's not how we do that. 
Whenever I tag team preach with somebody, I just wait for the Lord to speak, and then I stand up, and then he tags me whenever he gets to the end of a thought. We'll talk about the scraps, the provision of the Lord again. I want you to hear another dimension of it that, that goes to the Word of God. This is meat. And you see, whenever they were passing it out, the disciples were passing it out. They were breaking it and giving them some. And you see, this one, he took what he wanted of it, put some of it back. Didn't need it. I remember whenever Jesus was, was having the disciples on that last supper, he gave them that drink. He said, drink ye all of it. This is his blood. This is his body. Eat ye all of it. How many people you know pick and choose what they want out of there and they leave some leftovers? He said, hey, that's good stuff. Go get them. They might have turned their nose up at it, but this whole thing is life. And if you want the answers for every area of your life, you've got to take the whole thing. How many people remember that I didn't know what in the world God was talking about whenever I picked up that apple, whenever I went down to visit my mom not too long ago, my mom and dad, when they, they're still in the hospital. But I picked up one of their cooking apples. I didn't know it was a cooking apple. And I bit that thing, and it was nasty. And God said, eat all of it. Do you know how long it took me to chew the first bite before I could get it swallowed? I think I was two hours eating that apple. But listening to what God said, I ate the seeds in it. And I ate the stem. I ate every bit of it and swallowed it all. I didn't understand why until he started preaching on this right here, right now. He said, some of it's bitter, eat all of it. Some of it's hard to chew, eat all of it. I am Jehovah Jireh that is your provider. And this is what I use to provide for you. Eat all of it. You remember what happened the next day? After this event, they went across to the other side. And all of those people that had eaten... And, and all the fragments were taken up. They came back. And Jesus told them, called them out. He said, you didn't come. You didn't come here. To hear me, you came because you got the portion that you wanted, that part that tickled your ears. That's what he's saying. He said, he said you got because it filled your belly with what you want. And those leftovers that you left are going to stop you from receiving what I had for you. God says, do you want my best? Eat all of it. Well, then dismiss however you feel led to dismiss. You've been tagged. This wrestler gets to go sit down. How many of you have some supplies? This is how we're going to end it right here. This is one thing I tell my church all the time. There's two ways that you have to do 
to, over, to be an overcomer. The Bible says that, number one, we are overcomers by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. How many saved folk do we have in the building? Amen. That means you're blood washed. You're halfway overcomers. Come on. Just because you're saved don't mean that you've overcome. The second way, he said, is by the word of your testimony. Come on. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen. So I want us to stand all over the building. It's Justin back there, right? Dustin. Dustin with a D. You have any of that? You have any any music that we can come out with? Anything that's good? I just hold that hold that thought. He's going to play us some 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 music to get out of here. But instead of us just walking around saying, "Hey, where are y'all going to go after dinner?" and and then I and then we tell you that we're going back to the room because I'm going to go crash and, and burn for a while. We're going to find about two or three people, and I want you to testify about some supplies that you've got in your ship. I want you to find somebody and tell them a testimony that God's done for you. Because then your Bible says, because of the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony, that you are going to be an overcomer. So I want you to reach back in your ship. I want you to reach way back in your ship. And I want you to think about that thing that God has saved you from, delivered you from, how he brought you out. My most recent supply, this is going to be mine just to tell everybody. My most recent supply, testimony, happened Friday on the way up here when the passenger back tire of that van exploded. We didn't have a flat. It exploded. And the guy that came in and, and pulled up behind us within a matter of minutes, which is a testimony within itself, they were driving the opposite direction on the interstate, and the Holy Spirit spoke to them and said, you're not in that big of a hurry. Turn around and help them. I'm a city boy. All right? I didn't know where the jack was. I wouldn't have known where to put the jack. I wouldn't have known how to put the spare tire off the van. This guy comes in who just so happened to be a mechanic who looked at me and said that, man, he said, you did a number on this one. He said, it's a miracle that it didn't catch fire. And the second miracle is, is that this van didn't roll over. Amen. I'm going to tell you what happened. The, the tire exploded. She started calling on Jesus at 75 miles per hour. I took my foot off the accelerator. I never touched the gas. I was in the left lane, and I had both hands on the wheel. It stayed in the left lane. It never pulled, and it slowed down to near about a, a slow, steady stop. Jesus Christ had his hands on us. I'm here to tell you that's my supply. God is still a miracle worker. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for life tonight. Amen. 
I'm thankful that I'm able to stand behind this. I'm not going to tell you what this is really called, but this table tonight. I'm thankful you don't understand how thankful I am because the enemy tried to take us out. But God said, I'm just giving you some more scraps. I'm thankful for that. I want you to find about two or three people, and I want you to tell them what Jesus Christ has done in your life. And we'll see you tomorrow.